Amen, amen. So let's turn again to uh, a verse of Scripture, the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, and verse number uh, 18. Hallelujah. It helps when you open to the Bible, to the chapter you ask everyone else to open to. I was in Psalms, looked down, and there weren't 18 verses. And I said, what have I done? Proverbs, there we are, chapter 29 and verse 18. The Bible says, where there is no vision, what happens? What happens if there's no vision? If there's no clear direction, if people don't know where they're going, if they don't know what the goal is, then they're going to perish. They're going to fall by the wayside. Amen. I said it last week. I say again this week. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And that's the problem with some people's spiritual existence. They are aiming at nothing. There's no real goal. There's no real plan. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. This is what I want to become. This is where I'm going. There's no goal. There's no vision. And if you're aiming at nothing, you're going to end up with nothing. But I want to try to set a vision tonight. I want to try to set some goals in the hearts and minds of the people of New Life Pentecostal Church. And those that are joining us tonight as well. Amen. Amen. Now I failed, I failed last week to announce my title. And I was afraid that would happen. I am so used to announcing it when I begin. That I was afraid if I waited I would forget. And sure enough I I did. But really the title that I assigned to that message last week was Renewing the vision, renewing the vision. But tonight, I want to take it a step farther. Tonight's not so much about renewal. Tonight, I want to talk to you about expanding the vision. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to talk about us broadening our perspective. Well, praise God. I'm going to tell you, we need to get God out of the little box we've got him in and give him liberty to do some things that we haven't even thought about before. I can't tell you how many, and I know, I know you're standing, but before we pray, I can't tell you how many times men of God have been sent to this place and have stood behind this pulpit and said that God had spoken to them and said he was going to do a new thing in this church. I'm ready to see a new thing. I'm ready to see God do something he has not done here before. Oh, hallelujah. I'm tired of church as usual. Is anybody with me tonight? I'm tired of church as usual. I'm tired of average and ordinary and mundane. 
Oh, hallelujah. Well, you got to help me tonight, church. Praise God, praise God. And so tonight, tonight I want to title this Expanding the Vision. Expanding the Vision. Let's pray together. Ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Can we do that, everybody? Let's talk to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Come on, let's worship the Lord together. Everybody, let's worship the Lord together. Praise God. Now, I'll be honest with you, I feel a little bit of a resistance here tonight. Amen. I don't think it's coming from you. I think there's just a a devil that doesn't like us doing what we're doing. So I need some folks to really get on board tonight. I need some folks to help me. Well, praise God. Make up your minds. We're going to break through this thing. And we're going to see what God wants us to see tonight. Amen. Are you going to do that? Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I I don't want to spend a lot of time reviewing, and yet I know there are folks that uh, did not hear last week's lesson. And so let me just say a couple of things fairly quickly tonight before I get into what I want to talk to you about. Last week I stood before this church and mentioned how that uh, the week prior to that I had the privilege of listening to the man that I am blessed to call my pastor. As he taught a lesson he entitled uh, Principles for a Successful Ministry. And during that session he brought out some important things that must be a part of any ministry that's going to be effective and successful. And uh, he mentioned in uh, that lesson that one of those very important principles for success is that the pastor keep his vision before the people. Amen. To constantly remind them of where God is wanting to take them. Amen. It was during that lesson that I realized that I have not frequently enough shared my vision with this church, but I am trying to rectify that. Amen. I'm trying to change all of that. Last week we talked about uh, a lesson I had taught some 19 years ago in this church. A lesson that I entitled Vision 300. Amen. In that lesson I outlined to this church my vision for what I believe God 
wants to do here. Amen. And I have done my best uh, uh, last week to go back and go through some of the important parts of that lesson. Not reteaching that lesson, but renewing the principles that were outlined there. Amen. The reason for this is because of what is stated in my text in Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Where there is no vision. Where there is no vision. The people perish. The people perish. Amen. I do believe that it is the will of God for you to constantly hear where God wants to take us. For you to constantly be reminded of what God wants to do for us as a church. I believe that if we're going to see it happen, it's got to be delivered. I remember my late pastor, Elder Davis, uh, often telling us as young preachers that if you want to see it in your church, just preach it. If you want to see revival, preach revival. If you want to see people get the Holy Ghost, preach receiving the Holy Ghost. If you want to see people being baptized in Jesus' name, preach on baptism in Jesus' name. He told us you will always get what you preach. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I believe that principle to be true. And I pointed out last week how that a part of my vision I have kept before you regularly. I've talked about us starting Daughter Works and now we are seeing them begin. And I'm thankful that God's doing that. But there's more to the vision than just starting Daughter Works. And we talked about the numerical aspect of that vision last week. But today I want to turn my attention away from the numerical aspect. And I want to talk to you about the spiritual aspects of what I want to see here at New Life Pentecostal Church. Because it's more than just numbers. There are churches that have the numbers we're talking about and beyond. But I'm here to tell you not every church that has numbers is really a church. I'm here to tell you a lot of places that are calling themselves churches are really nothing more than country clubs. They're nothing more than secret societies and social orders where people get together and have a common meeting place. I want more than that. Amen. I want more than that. I don't want this to just be a country club. I don't want this to just be a gathering place. I want this to be a one God apostolic Jesus name Holy Ghost filled church. Hallelujah. Amen. And so I want tonight, I want to try by the help of God to lay out for you seven, seven characteristics that I believe God is calling this church to. Seven areas of our spiritual walk that I believe are essential for us as a church. All right? Amen. Now, why seven? Well, First of all, because that's what I felt. But I think there's a reason, a significance to the number seven. Because some people say that that's God's number. Well, 
Really, seven is the number God has chosen in the scripture to show completion. To show perfection. Amen. God created the world in seven days. It was finished in seven days. Seven is God's number of completion. It is the number of perfection. Amen. And please don't, please don't try to apply a modern definition to the word perfection. There's no such thing as a perfect church. If we're talking about today's definition of perfection. And let me tell you, there are folks who say, well, this church has this flaw and this church has this flaw. And I know this is wrong in this church. And, and they go through the list of things they find wrong with the church. I want to tell you something, my friend. If you're looking for the perfect church, should you ever find it, don't join it. You'll mess up its record. I'm going to tell you, if it's a perfect church, it's got to be because there's nobody there. As long as there are human beings, there are going to be problems. Not going to a church because it has problems. It's like saying, I'm not going to go to that hospital down there. There's sick folks there. Well, that's why the sick folks go to the hospital. And I'm going to tell you, yeah, we've got some folks here that have got some spiritual issues. But that's why they're here. They're trying to find help for those issues. And I'm going to tell you, that's why the devil wants you to stay home when you've got spiritual issues. Because he knows you're not going to get better at home. It's like staying home and saying, I'm not going to see the doctor. Sick folks are going to that doctor. No, when you're sick, it's the doctor you need to see. And when you've got spiritual issues, it's the church that you need, amen, to help you get over those issues. You're not going to fix them on your own. You're not going to solve your problems through your own thinking and your own logic. You can't make enough resolutions to make yourself perfect not going to happen but if you'll come to church God's spirit and God's word and God's man can work on you and there's hope and there's help in the house of God so, so when I say seven is the number of perfection don't think that I'm talking about today's definition of perfection. The biblical definition, Jesus actually made the statement, be ye perfect. Well, I was waiting to see if some of you knew that that really is in the Bible. He said, be ye perfect. You say, I can never do that. No, not if you apply today's definition. But that word in the original doesn't mean without flaw. It simply means mature or complete. That's all it means. You know, a perfect seven-month-old is not the same as a perfect seven-year-old. So perfection in that line of thinking 
evolves, it changes. What is perfect for one is not perfect for another. Hallelujah. So we've got to understand that we can be biblically a perfect church and yet still have issues and flaws. But we're complete. We're spiritually mature. We are what God wants us to be. And I think we're going to achieve that when we see these seven characteristics at work in our midst. Hallelujah. Praise God. So you're going to ride with me for a little while here tonight. And, and, and let me tell you, as I go through these seven, they're not, in, they're not in order of importance. They're just pretty much in order of the way they came to me, all right? Just as I started writing them down, that's, that's just kind of the way it was. So it's not that one's more important than the other, though we're going to talk about a few that uh, if we don't have these, we might as well forget the rest. But I just want to try to share with you what I'm feeling tonight. This is where we need to be as a church. Number one, number one, we must be a people church. We'll say a people church. We must be a people church. Hallelujah. We've got to be a people church. There's got to be something about us that we love people. Matthew 22 verse 39. And the second, the second is like of all you. the commandments is this. Thou shalt love thy love neighbor, your neighbor as, as yourself. Church, I'm telling you that if we're ever going to be the kind of church I talked about last week, if we're ever going to see those things happen, then we've got to change our focus. We've got to say to ourselves and, and say to God, I want to become a part of a people church. We've got to learn to love all people. All people. I'm talking about saved. I'm talking about sinners. I'm talking about ethnic groups. I'm talking about white folks. I'm talking about rich people, poor people, sinners, backsliders, saints of God. People that talk different. People that look different. People that have social status. People that don't. The moment that we turn up our nose at any group of people, I'm going to tell you the curse of God rests upon us and we're never going to be what God wants us to be. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they sound like. I don't care what their past is. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know, I know that we're in the county seat of Johnson County, Kansas. The richest county in the state. One of the richest counties in the nation. I know that. But I could care less. I'm going to tell you, we got to get rid of an attitude that would say to us, they've got to be a certain kind of people or we're not interested. I actually read a report where somebody visited a church and they looked at her and said, you are not going to fit in here. Hey, you know what? 
if God sends them here, God will make them fit here. God will make them fit. Oh, I'm preaching tonight. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you've dabbled in. I don't care what you've been. The God I serve is able to turn your life around. He's able to give you hope. Oh, I wish somebody believed what I'm preaching tonight. I don't care if you've got millions in the bank or your millions in debt. I don't care if you don't have two nickels to rub together. I don't care if your English is not very good. Well, if we have to start eye-blowing in Espanol, then so be it. <laughs> yeah, eye-blowing. How's that for a word? That's kind of a mixture there, huh? Praise God. If we be having to start speaking in Ebonics, that's fine with me too. I'm going to tell you, I don't care who they are or what they look like. Are you hearing the heart of your preacher? This is my vision. I want to see this church be an international church. I want folks from every tribe and every tongue and every language. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not looking for a lily white congregation. And I'm not looking for a wealthy congregation. I'm not looking for a poor congregation. I'm just saying, God, I don't care who they are. Send them here. There's hope in this place. There's transformation in this place. There's healing in this place. We, 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 we've got to become a people church. I actually saw it. Church that I pastored years ago. We had a man come in and come to the altar. He'd been in and out of church more times than you could count. He'd come in, stay for a few months, and he'd be gone. He'd be gone for quite a while. Then he'd come in, he'd stay for a few months, and he'd be gone. And I watched, I watched when he would come to the altar, nobody would even bother to pray with him. Because they had their mind made up, he wasn't going to stay anyhow. But you know what my philosophy was? One of these times, one of these times, he might just get something that he's never had before. He might just tap into something he's never experienced before. Don't write him off yet. You know, the Bible says no man can come to God unless the Spirit draws him. He's not in this altar because he decided to come, but he's here because God's drawn him. And if God is not giving up on him, why should we? Oh, hallelujah. Look, if we're going to be a people church, we've got to be a soul winning church. I talked about that last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I've got too many other points that I've got to make tonight unless we end up breaking this into a series and I have to come back and teach more of it next week, which I may very well have to do. Half of my time's already gone and I'm still on point number one. I got, seven to, I got six to go when I get finished with this one. 
So I don't know, but I, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to deliver what's on my heart tonight. Amen. I'm not going to talk so much about just going out and knocking doors and handing out church cards. It's not just about getting them to church, but it's about how we treat them when they get to church. I'm going to tell you, I would rather they get about 10 church uh, visitor cards than to get none at all. I'd rather them be overwhelmed by people speaking to them than for them to feel like they've been ignored. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm telling you, I mean it when I say it's an honor that our guests are in this house tonight. It's an honor that you're here. I'm glad you came. And I want you to know that New Light Pentecostal Church is absolutely thrilled that you're in this house tonight. You didn't have to come. You didn't have to come. But you came and I'm glad you're here. You may not see eye to eye with us. You may not agree with everything about us. But that's okay. You're here. And we're glad you're here. And we want you to keep coming back. Well, praise God. I'm telling you, if we're going to be a people church, we've got to be a church that is constantly conscious of souls. Whatever we're doing, whatever we're doing, if we've got people here that need the Holy Ghost, you know what that ought to do to us? That ought to make us shake off that old spirit of, well, it's Thursday night. I'm wore out tonight. No, no, no. There's somebody here that needs the Holy Ghost. I got to get a hold of God. I got to make sure I plug into the Spirit tonight. I don't want them. I don't know what's going to happen if they walk out the door tonight. I can't take a chance on losing this opportunity. So I've got to give my best to this service. I've got to give my very best because I want every person that comes in these doors to get what they need from God. And I don't want to be a hindrance. I'm telling you, we spend too much time coming to church thinking about our needs, our wants, our desires. And we've got to become a people church. We've got to get to the place that it's not about what I need tonight. My needs can wait. I'm going to live for God whether I get my needs met or not. I'm going to live for God whether my requests are, are answered or not. Whether my questions are dealt with or not, I'm still going to live for God. But there are people that walk through the doors that may never come back again. Now they need to get something in that service. I can put my desires and my needs on hold. I want them to know that we're thrilled they're here and I want them to leave with their hearts and their spirits full. If we are going to be a people church, we've got to be a unified church. Well, thank God for the four who agree with that. We've got to be a unified church. It is simply not possible to love God and not love our brother. 1 John 4 and 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth... That's quite strong language. 
Is that really in the Bible? Yes, sir. I mean, did John really just call somebody a liar? You know, where I come from, they used to say, them's fighting words. Them's fighting words. You don't call me a liar. Well, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, just called you a liar. If you say that you love God, but you don't love your brother. For he that loveth not because his brother. whoever doesn't love his brother, whom he, hath whom seen, he has seen, how, how in God? this world could he love God he when he's seen. never laid eyes on God? If you can't love the ones you have seen, how are you going to love the one you have not seen? Look, I want to show you something. Brother Dudley dealt with this in great detail in uh, one of the sessions at that same meeting, and I'm not going to re-preach his notes or even go through all the things he said. I just want to show you a passage of Scripture that I think ought to get a hold of us. Psalm 133, and, and, and the entire psalm is only three verses long, but my, my, my what depth and meaning is in this chapter of the Psalms. Psalm 133, let's start verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in 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 what in what in what all right it's good and it's pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity how good and pleasant is it read it is like the precious like that ointment like that what ointment is he talking about what ointment the good and precious ointment Upon the head that ran down down upon the beard, beard, even Aaron's Aaron's beard, beard, and went went down down to the skirts skirts of his What ointment is he talking about? What? The anointing oil. He's talking about the anointing. When there's unity, there's anointing. When there's unity, there's anointing. What else? Verse 3. As the dew of Hermon, as the dew of Hermon, and as the as dew the that descended upon, the, that descend upon Zion, the mountains of Zion, for there the, for Lord, there the Lord commanded what? Even life forever. Wait, the Lord commanded what? Blessing. He commanded what? Listen, this is what I want to tell you tonight. Amen. I want you to notice how God ties anointing and blessing into unity. We want God's blessing on this church. I'm going to tell you how it's going to come. We want the anointing to fall on the preacher. We want the anointing on the congregation. I'm going to tell you how it's going to come. It's going to come when we lay aside our differences, when we drop our isms and our schisms, and we start getting together as the body of Christ, and we start loving one another like God wants us to. In fact, it's not just that God will give us a blessing. But what's he going to do? He's going to command the blessing. God's going to order. Blessing? You get down there on those people. He doesn't give the blessing any choice. He doesn't give the blessing a chance to say, wait a minute. He doesn't give the blessing a chance to argue about it. God commands that blessing to go down upon the people that have a spirit of unity from the Lord. Well, I'm 
talking about being a people church. Everyone say a people church. People church. That whatever we're going to do, whatever we're going to say, however we're going to respond, the things that we're going to, to the way we're going to treat one another, it's all about being a people church. I've often said it, that you can go to other places and find bigger buildings. You can find more beautiful sanctuaries. You can find churches that have got larger crowds. But the one thing that I want people to walk away from here saying is, I've never found a church that loved me more. Well... That pastor may not be the greatest preacher I've ever heard. He's not the greatest singer I've ever heard. The musicians may not be what you could hire out there professionally. But one thing I know, when I walk in that house, those people love me and they're glad to see me. And I'm going to tell you, they'll come back more often for our love than they will for our talent. I want to say a people church. I want us to be a people church. I want us to be a people church. The second thing, the second thing, the second thing, I want us to be a productive church. I want to say a productive church. Now, now by this, by this, I'm talking about producing. I'm talking about, I'm talking about that, that it's not confined to these four walls. That it's not just about this assembly and this congregation. But I want us producing other churches. Let's, let's, um, let's go to Acts chapter 15 verse 22. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. All right, now, now I want you to look at something here. I want you to look at something. The apostles and elders, of course, are pleased to send forth chosen men. But they're not the only ones that are pleased to do this. Do you see that? The apostles and elders, yes, of course. We expect that out of the apostles and elders. But look at what it says, with the whole church. The whole church was pleased to send chosen men out somewhere else. The whole church got excited that we're not just going to keep the preacher sitting here on a pew. I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. I'm sorry. I'm not throwing stones. Maybe there's a good reason and a good explanation. But I've been in far too many apostolic churches that have had 20 or 30 men sitting on the pew calling themselves preachers. When we've got cities all around us that don't have churches, I don't understand that. Why does one church need 30 preachers? I don't understand it. I'm sorry. Now, maybe they're in training. That's fine. But a lot of them I've seen were not men in training. They were men that were just content to just sit on a pew and call themselves a preacher. 
I'm going to tell you, something's got to happen to our mentality that says we as a church don't want to just stay here and get bigger. But we are looking at cities that need a testimony and a witness of what we believe. And we want to, as a church, send men out of this assembly to go into a neighboring town or into a country around the world. I'm not just talking about daughter works in Kansas City. I'm talking about sending men from here that become full-time evangelists, that become pastors in other cities, uh, and become missionaries uh, to foreign countries. I want this church to be a place that births other ministries. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The whole church was pleased to send them out. The whole church. Amen. We've got to get our eyes beyond the city limits of Olathe. Beyond the county limits of Johnson County. Beyond the metropolitan area of Kansas City. Beyond the state lines of Kansas and even beyond the national borders of the USA. We got to get our eyes on what Jesus called us to do. He said, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and... Yeah. It's those uttermost parts. Now, if we don't send men, we can send money. But we're going to do something. We're going to do something to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's not just about this assembly. We've got to be a productive church. And this church has got to be willing to send both men and money, whatever it takes, amen, to Get the job done of preaching the truth, amen, to every area of this world. Come on, church. There's still a few of you that struggle with my involvement in Africa. You got to get beyond that. You got to get over that. You got to get over that. This is something God's doing. This is the hand of God involved here. You got to recognize and realize that God is doing this. I didn't ask to go. This wasn't something I signed up for. And God knew the needs of this church when he called me to do what I'm doing over there. And so this church has got to be willing to send men. Zimbabwe needs the truth. We're going to send men. That may not mean sending a young man from here. That may mean sending your pastor over there. Botswana has to hear the truth. Malawi has to hear the truth. Uganda has to hear the truth. Well, oh, I promise you, I'm looking for somebody to take my place. But God's not sending them. So I got to go. And I'm going to keep going as long as God makes the way and as long as God keeps this burden fresh on my heart. This has got to be the attitude of the whole church. We want to be a productive church producing other assemblies.
Hallelujah. We now have, I think I can safely say, hundreds, hundreds of baby churches in southern Africa that have been birthed because of the burden that came from this assembly. And I don't see it stopping, I only see it expanding. But the rest of us have got to get this vision. The rest of us have got to come to grips with it. This is what God is wanting us to do. This is our job as a church. I mean, look look who they're sending out. Paul. You think that local assembly didn't want to keep Paul right there? The kind of Bible teacher he was? The kind of connection he had with God? Don't you think that there were some sitting on those pews that said, no, Paul, we need you right here. But they had a vision. And they said, you know what? I'm going to make it. I'm going to get a hold of God. I'm going to have a relationship with the Lord. I'm going to do my own praying. I'm going to do my own Bible study. I'm going to let God talk to me. And if God needs Paul, I'm going to put my blessing on it. Oh, praise God. 15 minutes. Let me give you number three. We'll be almost halfway through these seven. Number three. Now, we must, we must be a people church. I want to say a people church. We must be a productive church. I want to say productive church. Number three. And this is why I said a while ago, these are not an area of or they're not listed uh, in order of importance because this next one's pretty important. I, I really wanted to get the first two out of the way because we'd already dealt with that in, in our previous lesson last week. By and large, we had dealt with those very things. And so I wanted to get those two out of the way. And now I want to focus on something else here. Number three, number three, we must be a praying church. Everyone say a praying church. Second Chronicles 7.14, we know it, most of us can quote it, but it never hurts for us to hear it again. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my, if people, my people, which are called, which are by, called my by my name, would humble themselves and pray and, and seek my face, face turn, turn from their wicked ways, wicked ways. then will, then I, will I hear from, from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now look, there are folks everywhere that are using this for America. But I'm going to tell you, America as a whole is not God's people. He's not talking to America. He was talking at that time to his people, the Jews. And the principle carries to his people, the church. This is not about America and healing America's land. It's about the church and healing our land. The revival that's going to come has got to come to the church.
You can't revive something that's never been alive in the first place. Revival comes to the church. And when the church has revival, then it begins to carry out throughout whatever country they're in. But the promise was, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and, and what? And what? And pray. I uh, have on my computer right now, found it today, uh, doing some research, a digital copy of a magazine printed by a group that consider themselves Pentecostal. It was printed in May of 1946. And um, I've got the entire magazine stored on my computer hard drive. But the, the cover article was written by one of the leaders of that group. And in 1946, he said that one distinctive feature in Pentecostal churches is the prominence given to the prayer room. 1946, that was what made Pentecostal churches stand out from other churches. How important the prayer room was. Now, again, I'm not trying to be critical and I'm not throwing stones. I'm just stating facts tonight. But there are very few churches out there that call themselves Pentecostal that have even still got a prayer room. Where's our prayer room? It's right here. That's where it is. Before service starts, we're in here praying. This is our prayer room. That's the point. That's the purpose of the article was the time that they spent praying before the service ever began and the time they spent praying once the service was dismissed. And the writer said, that's what makes us different than every other church. But now we have started to conform. We want to be like the rest. We want to sound like the rest. We want to talk like the rest. We want to look like the rest. God help us. I'm going to tell you, it's time for us to get back to the importance of the prayer room. It's time for us to get back to realizing, amen, we've got to to get a hold of God. In fact, I, I, I don't condone everything in that magazine or even everything in that article. But one of the things that that man said that I do agree with, he said, the treasures of heaven are not just laying lightly on a shelf to simply be picked up at ease. But he said, real prayer is a job. It's a task. It's work. When's the last time you prayed until your insides were sore? Well, it got quiet all of a sudden. When's the last time you prayed until your eyes became rivers of tears? I'm preaching tonight. I'm talking about what my vision is for this church. I want this church to be a praying church. We, we talk about the Azusa Street Revival. We talk about seven nights a week, seven nights a week for years. 
glory of God that was in that run down old building but I want to tell you how it happened if you'll read the stories amen that old preacher amen who really had not had much formal training but I'll tell you what he did he would go down to that church early in the morning and find a place and start praying but it wasn't just the preacher but the people came by all hours of the day all hours of the night somebody was stopping by that church somebody was crying out to God somebody was praying come on do we really want revival or don't we we want it but we don't want to pay the price they paid I want to tell you God has not put revival on clearance do you hear me God's not running a red tag sale Well, God doesn't have revival in his garage sale. I know they paid a lot for it back then, but we're going to get it cheap. No, it's not going to work that way. But if we really want it, we're going to pray. We're going to pray and pray and pray. Listen to me. Some of you that are struggling with issues in your life, you want, I know this may not be what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what the real answer is. Pray. Pray and pray and pray. Somebody once said prayer changes things. And to a degree that's true. But I want to tell you more than prayer changing things. uh, What's important is that prayer changes people. In fact, I found there are some things in my life that prayer did not change. But it changed me. And I was able to handle the things. No, we don't like to hear that. We want an easy fix. We, we want a 12-step program so when we get to step number 11, we know we're just about out of all this. But I'm going to tell you, it just takes prayer and more prayer and more prayer and more prayer. I've said it many times before, but in that great Azusa Street revival, way back in 19, I think it was 1906 is, is when they say it happened. But there was a, a, a prophecy that went forth out of that meeting where God said that in the last days, there would be an emphasis on praise to a God the people no longer pray to. And I'm going to tell you, We've lived to see that day. Now look, I like, I like a lot of the modern songs. We sing a lot of the modern songs. Some of it I don't like. Some of it I don't like. I do still believe there are some kinds of music that are not pleasing to God. And I have time to teach that lesson, but, but I still believe that. But I am going to tell you this. One of the problems I've got with most modern, quote unquote, worship music today is that it's 99.9% about praise. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about prayer. It's not about crucifying the flesh. It's about praise. Let's just praise. In fact, they'll say praise 30 times in one chorus. 
Some courses, that's about all they do say. I mean, you don't have to know a whole lot of English to sing in some churches. If you can say praise, you can just about fit in every song they sing. But I'm going to tell you something, church. We must never lose our focus on prayer. This has got to be a praying church. Not praying because you've been asked to pray. Not praying because you've been told to pray. Not praying because somebody gets up and says, come on, let's really tap in now. But there's got to be something on the inside of us that says, I recognize my need for God. And the only way I'm going to get from God what I need is for me to pray. Come on, come on. I'm talking to us tonight. I'm trying to cast my vision. We may not be shouting and running the aisles like we were Thursday night, but I'm going to tell you this is what's going to bring us to what I preached about Thursday night. This is what's going to carry us to this place. If we can become a praying church. People have often wondered, people have often wondered how the late Elder Westberg built a church that ran into the hundreds in a small town of Junction City, Kansas. How, how did that man go in to a place where there's just not very many people and build a church? I'll tell you how it was done. It was done through prayer. I heard, I heard a dear friend of mine Brother Robert Davis talk about the first time he ever went to Junction City. He said he pulled up on the parking lot. It was several hours before church was supposed to start. But he said the minute he got out, I think he was driving a, a car, I don't remember if it was a car or a truck, but the minute he got out of that vehicle, he said, when I put my foot on that parking lot, I felt the presence of God. And I could hear coming out of that church a roar of prayer. This was hours before church started. I used to hear my old pastor talk about going up there to preach, sleeping in the evangelist quarters uh, in, in that building. And, and, and he said about four in the morning, people would start showing up to the prayer room, which was just on the other side of the evangelist quarters. And he said, I'd hear them at four o'clock in the morning. They're travailing. They're seeking God. And he said it went on all day long. You know what I want this church to be? I want this church to be a praying church. Hey, if they, can, if they could build a church that numbered into the hundreds in a city of about 13,000, what can we do in a city 10 times that size? God is the same. He's the same God. He's no respecter of persons. I'm telling you, if we'll get that kind of fervency in prayer, if we can get some folks that'll get a hold of God. Oh, hallelujah. No, no, no. We got to check Facebook and we got we to gotta play a game and we got, we got so many other things that distract us. We don't have time to pray, but I'm preaching tonight. This is my vision for new life. I want us to get to the place that we truly become a praying church. 
And I'm not saying all those things are sinful. Please don't misunderstand me tonight. But I'm just telling you something's got to happen. Where prayer is not the last thing we think of. But the first thing. It's not the afterthought of what we throw to God in the moments before we finally collapse in sleep at night. But we start our day because I know, God, I'm going to need you today. I'm going to need your help today. Hallelujah. This church needs your help, God. This church has got to have your touch. And so we're going to become a praying church. A praying church. A praying church. Ephesians 6 and 18. I've got to close. My time is up. Ephesians 6 and 18. And I'll, I'll pick up with point four, Lord willing, uh, next week. But Ephesians 6 and 18. Ephesians 6 gives us the, the, the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. And usually we stop when the items of armor are finished being listed. But we can't really stop until we get to this one. Verse 18, he said, Praying, always. praying, praying always. once in a while. Praying every third day. Praying at church time. Praying always with all prayer, all prayer and supplication, and supplication in, the spirit. in the Spirit. And watching, and watching thereunto with all perseverance. And, and there it is again, supplication. For all saints. God. God help us. I want us to be a people church. I want us to be a productive church. But I'm convinced. If we'll become a praying church. That prayer. Will make us a people church and a productive church hallelujah I want to pray I want to fall in love with prayer I want to fall in love with prayer you know there was there there was I'm not going to make you play it there, there was there was an old song that was in the hymnals you just don't you just don't hear anybody sing anymore. Go, go ahead and play softly. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to play this, but, but, but you just don't hear anybody. You don't hear anybody sing it anymore. But, but it, it, it simply said, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer that calls me from my world of care and bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known in seasons of distress and grief my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return sweet hour of prayer Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, thy wings 
shall my petition bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, may I thy consolation share till from Mount Pisgah's lofty height I view my home and take my flight. This robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air. Farewell, farewell, sweet hour prayer. You know, when you really read that, it was... It was the writer's love song to prayer. I mean, you can tell this is this is a matter of appreciation and gratitude for what that time of prayer has brought about in the writer's life. Escaping the tempter's snare. Finding relief. In those closing words, the author, let it be known, we're not going to part until I take my flight from this old world. I'm going to keep coming back to you, sweet hour of prayer. We need more people to pray. Not everyone can be a Sunday school teacher, not everyone can be a song leader. Not everyone can be a musician. But everybody can pray. And the church needs more people to pray than they do to sing or play instruments or teach Sunday school classes. Brother Verbal Bean great and mighty man of God died in the early 70's had revivals where he saw a hundred souls pray through but you know what he said he said I would get to a church and he said I would look across that congregation and I'd figure out whether we could have revival or not he said we couldn't have revival in just any church But he said, when I got to a church, I looked for one thing. Is there somebody in this church that knows how to travail? If I can find at least one person that knows how to tap into the Holy Ghost and travail and get a hold of God, then we'll have revival. I I don't know how many times I watched in Colorado Springs and all of our young people go to Heritage and you see the big, huge, beautiful building they built now and you see that congregation that's there. But I, my relationship with that church goes way back before that. And I can tell you, I've been there and I've stood on that platform and I've watched when services start getting tight and old Brother Emery we just kind of double over and you knew 
he recognized there's something fighting against this service. There's something fighting against this preacher. And I'm not going to let that happen. And he would double over and begin to pray until God broke it and liberty came. Church, I'm telling you, I, I want you to hear me. If one person in this church, if one person in this church could really get under that burden to say, God, let that be me. I want to be the one who prays until it breaks. I want that to be my job during the service. When things get tight and things get bound, I want to be the one that prays through it. If one person could get a hold of that, I'm going to tell you, it'll catch like wildfire. There will be others who will fall in love with prayer. When's the last time you came up here on a Friday night to have a night of prayer when it wasn't a called prayer meeting? There wasn't anybody meeting you here. You just wanted to get a hold of God. You knew there were battles taking place and God's looking for some warriors. You know, it's interesting to me. I've got to quit. My time is up. But I, it's interesting to me. When you go through David's list of mighty men, you know that most of those, the story of their life was one victory. One victory. Now, they were great men, and they fought a lot of battles, and they won a lot of victories. But in each of those stories, there was one victory. He went in in the snow and killed a lion with his bare hands. He went in and killed a lion like man. There was one victory that caused that man to stand out among the others. And I want to tell you, church, it may not be just one person, but there may be several of you that God is talking to right now that your victory that you win during a service could forever turn things around for this assembly. But somebody's got to get beyond wanting the position of glory that I want to sing. I want people patting me on the back. I want people recognizing who I am, what I'm doing, and get to the place that God, what I want is victory. And if I've got to stay in the trenches and I've got to be behind and nobody ever knows that I'm the one that prayed us through to that victory, that's fine with me, God. I just want to know we got there. I want this to be a praying church. I want it to be a praying church. Listen to me. Listen to me. Praying people don't backslide. A backslider quit praying. I don't care who they are. I don't care who they are. Saint, preacher, I don't care. They backslid somewhere they quit praying. Oh, they might have been going through the motions. They might have been acting like they were praying. But they weren't really connecting in the spirit. But if you'll stay connected in the spirit, you won't backslide. Hallelujah. Is anybody feeling my passion tonight? I know we're not running the aisles. I know it's not, 
it's not as exciting as last Thursday night, but I'm trying to lay out the fullness of the vision of what I see this church becoming, what I believe God wants this church to be, and I believe God is calling New Life Pentecostal Church. He wants us to be a people church. He wants us to be a productive church. He wants us to be a praying church. Let's stand tonight. Does anybody feel a call to prayer? Does anybody feel a call to prayer? Where are my mighty men tonight? Where are my women warriors? Where is my youth brigade tonight? Where, where, where are those that will catch this vision and say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Hallelujah. Come on, let's talk to God. Let's talk to God. Let's talk to God. Everybody. lift our voices come on let's lift our voices in prayer let's really get a hold of God right now let's ask God to change us to draw us closer to him it's the effectual fervent prayer that avails much fervent prayer fervent prayer fervent prayer come on not quiet half-hearted prayers not prayers that are mumbled, not, not prayers that are whispered, but fervent, fervent, boiling, explosive prayers. Those are the prayers that get somewhere. Oh, don't worry about what someone else is going to think. Don't worry about what somebody else is going to say. Somebody touch God tonight. Somebody touch God tonight. Somebody touch God tonight. Hallelujah. God help me. God change me. God make me what I've got to be to see what you want us to see, God. Oh, let's lift our voices, church. Church.